Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today on a very special... 50th episode <laughs> is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. <laughs> number 50. What a big number. And we also have Jackie. Hi, everyone. Number yes. 50. 50 is big. Exciting. We're halfway there. Halfway there. <laughs> I, I think we'll be done at 200. That'll be yeah. funny, right? Well, yeah. how many times have we gotten on and we're like, oh, what episode number is it? That's, uh, that's nice. Me every, that's me every week. I don't know how, but. Maybe that's what we do. We stop counting the episodes after 50 because it doesn't matter anymore. You're over we, the hill. We're yes, official. We're probably not going to go away. We're going to keep doing episodes. Exactly. <laughs> We'll stop when they stop building homes. Awesome. Oh, well, man. Jackie, you want to get us started yeah. on story time? Sure. I'd love to. I've noticed a lot of builder clients are doing website refreshes and redesigns, which is very exciting in our world. Just mm -hmm. And I know how long they tend to last. So it's always nice to jump on and see a new update to those. And diving in to some of them, I had a chance to really see a lot of common web design trends across a couple of the new ones. And I was going to dive into a couple of those because they're yeah. really, really fun to see. Right off the bat, I'm starting to see a lot stronger user interface and user experience design, which is really refreshing and nice to see consistency with that. I'm starting to see a lot more user friendly. And with that, I don't know about you guys, but I have gone on to my fair share of sites that it is like a wild goose chase to try to find certain information. So mm -hmm. I'm starting to find now with a lot of the cleaner look and whether, you know, with the dynamic scrolling design and white space, it's starting to be a lot easier to find what I'm looking for. So, you know, I'm, I'm scrolling down, boom, I have a, a giant map with a call out of where certain communities are and where they're building. And it's, it's really nice because I'm getting what I want re relatively quickly than I had been before. Yeah. Uh, Even the simplified menu structures too. I yes. feel like a lot of them just thank goodness they don't have 12 different places to try to choose from <laughs> off the bat. It's like, are you looking for a house? Yes. Great. Push this button and you're there. Yeah. yeah. The map right thing the is huge for me because I know how hard, you know, those can be to I click on them and then they take me right over the page. I'm like, oh no, I want to go back. And then I'm all the way back to the homepage again. So now I'm starting to find there's certain things where going back, I'm going back to where I left off or, you know, same with, like you said, Kevin, just the simplicity of the, the header, but also the sticky uh, call to actions kind of stay with you as you're going down, which is nice. And seeing that mobile design integration being consistent with the website is awesome. I'm on my mm -hmm. I'm on my phone now. How many how many of us are looking on our phone? And it's nice. I'm, it's not out of whack. I don't see something floating up in the top and I'm zooming in. It's nice. Those are yeah. all starting to be mm -hmm. uh, consistent with the design and having the sticky mobile call to actions, which are really helpful. I think that's my my favorite trend or, or requirement is the, the sticky mobile call to action. Here's a Mm -hmm. the quiz time, which would you all prefer top or bottom as far as having that, that call to action? And that'd be like text or call or contact. Should it be placed at the top or the bottom? I don't know the right answer. I, I have a preference. Of I course, think it but. is probably personal preference, but I don't know about you guys. I, I tend to like the bottom of the yeah. placement just because it's near my thumb, like my thumb's kind of like, closest. Yeah. You aren't having a stretch like <laughs> up to the top. Yep. Closest to your thumb okay. and also not covering main navigation yeah. or making the navigation be in an unusual 
usual place. Yeah. Right. It's just the navigation is typically going to be at the top. Mm -hmm. And if you put that at the top, you got to move it to the side or the bottom. And that's just something people aren't used to yet. Other things too, I've noticed are sites are starting to be a lot more fun with fonts. I know before, and maybe that's just the- You would notice that. I would notice that. I'm like a lot more scripty and a lot more of that uh, custom look. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I know for, with the colors is huge. You know, color is one of the first things our brains perceive from a brand. So it's often the first thing that pulls me in and starting to see, you know, less colors that scream at you. I think it's always nice when you have a nice accent color that all your buttons are. Or personally, I like the ones that when your mouse scrolls over, it changes to something else. So mm-hmm. I like, right. oh, that kind of calls me in to click on it. So I, uh, yeah, websites to... are definitely no longer just interactive brochures. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's negative and not about the ones that we've seen do relaunches that, that mm-hmm. you're referencing don't don't fall into this trap, but is sometimes where they're using colors and fonts and the, and the template or the layout of the site itself is exponentially more cool and distracting than the actual yeah. content in it. And that's mm-hmm. two different two different kinds of challenges, right? But if you still have a hand-drawn rendering from 1978 as your main <laughs> image of a home and you stick it inside of this great site, it's just it's it's very apparent that you've spent more time and have been more concerned about the site layout than the actual content living inside of it yeah. at times. Very, very good point. I think also like sticking with the brand and having whether that is a consistency with your script font or having something still, you know, showcase all the same when you go throughout the site. It's not mm-hmm. too crazy or bold. Yep. So yeah, that's that's something I'm starting to see. I'm very excited to keep seeing those refreshes. Those are always make my design designer heart happy. Well, my uh, story time is a couple of quick updates on some fun stats. I don't look at them all the time, but now that this is a major milestone, episode 50, uh, it feels like another day in the office, but we have to pretend like it's it's extra special. <laughs> Amazing. It's always just curious to see where geographically our listeners are located. Far and away, the top five here uh, outpace everyone else by a significant margin, but North Carolina, number one, Texas, number two, California, number three, Virginia, number four, Pennsylvania, number five. It's interesting just to see the geographic spread there that they're coming from. And just in time for episode 50, we have hit 49 of the 50 states in the United States. So I think uh, we kind of semi-officially sent Jackie from American Classic Homes on vacation to Hawaii just so we could get those mm-hmm. listener counts in Hawaii. <laughs> All that's left for some reason, we even got Alaska, but no Vermont. So someone what? needs to take a trip to Vermont for us Man. and uh, take a picture of yourself at the state line, download an episode. Got to add that to the list. Yeah, it's like collecting um, quarters back when I was a kid from all the 50 states. That or the spoons. You need a spoon. (laughs) They build homes in Vermont. Like it's... Uh, That's what you would think. Don't they want to get some free advice? Yeah. Uh, So that that, that was always fun. And uh, then my other part of story time is I spoke at the Epcon National Conference on Wednesday this past week, and it was a ton of fun. Spoke on uh, paid social strategies as well as pre-sale without fail. And it just always cracks me up when there is a theme that gets created kind of by the audience, not by me. And the theme of this one definitely was I'm bringing in my business partner or the owner or somebody else with me because I've totally believe in all this stuff, Kevin, and I've talked to other people who this all works for, but they keep screwing it up. And so it was just awesome because like every 10 minutes, someone was giving someone else the hairy eyeball or saying, I told you so. And it was, it was just comical to watch it unfold in each of the rows. Like you could just tell who was in trouble and to their credit, the owners and the, and the leaders who were got roped in, they came around. I mean, they were not defensive. They were definitely open-minded. And in fact, one of the owners said, Hey, this is in the marketing 
marketing track that you're doing this. Are you, are you talking about this again in, in the sales track in the afternoon? Because I think there's like a whole bunch of other people who need to be in the loop. It's always fun just to see see what transpires yeah. as you're giving a talk, but also just a good reminder that this has to be a group uh, buy-in type of a thing. You cannot just buy the book. You can't just say, this is what we're going to do. It was really helpful. Get, get them on one of the pre-recorded webinars we've done. Come see a talk somewhere, come to the summit, but you got to get everybody on the same page. You're going to have tremendous success with that kind of a program. I agree. Awesome. Sounds like fun. Convince the non-believers. Well, and, and what's interesting, the only other interesting part to that is if you know the material, like everyone had read the book, they've done parts of it themselves, but they had to bring in the owner to get the buy-in to hear me. And I'm not discounting the fact that I can be helpful to them in making the argument that this stuff really does work and giving examples. But at the same time, it's also a little bit of a check for yourself of why don't I have more influence or why am I not able to persuade? Is there a lack of trust or a lack of, there's a lack of something there to me. If the person walks in originally with their arms crossed, kind of defensive and then changes that fast, I don't think I'm that good of a speaker. I think there's just something different. Does that make sense? I, I just think you should have a relationship mm -hmm. with the people around you where you're able to communicate and quote unquote, sell your ideas internally better than it seems like a lot of marketers are willing to just kind of be a little too passive or not comfortable talking mm -hmm. directly I, about this. Kind I of stuff. definitely think that's especially depending on certain environments you're in. I think that plays a huge role. So be brave, be bold. Hey, I be tied brave. it in to our guest be today. Be bold. Be bold. I love it. Yes. Be bold and win the sale. There we win go. Win the pre-sale. Win the pre-sale. <laughs> pre cool. All right, Andrew, what do you got for us? Ooh, I have two stories, but I'm going to pick one. So I'll save one for next week and, and do this one this week. Here, I'll do the easy one because this is light. I think it'll be some entertainment. So there are golf courses down here where I am in Pinellas County. We have a lot of older people, of course, because we're Florida. All the retirees come down this way. Snowbirds from Columbus, Ohio. Kevin's going to move down here soon, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. eh, well. Then I'll Maybe become not. just another Florida man. I know, just another Florida man. Yeah, do the Florida man <laughs> challenge. That's that's also fun. Yeah. So there's these golf courses. And if you follow the news from 2019, 2018, you know, golf course engagement sales, you know, they're going out of business, right? As far as not all of them, but some are, especially ones that and these where we're at, these aren't like the premier places where they're holding championships. There's no mm -hmm. name recognition. Some are even like you see their views and like people don't like place. They're like, they need to take care of their greens, all this stuff, you know. So of course business is going down. And the developers want to buy the land and develop it into housing. There's not much land down here at all. But then there's one, Bardmore. It's a higher end community. The homes there are like 600 to like one to two million already. And the golf course, you know, is, is not busy. And so they're trying to sell it. And it's a big development. And that one has a lot of money behind it as far mm -hmm. as the people that live there. That one will be yeah. interesting to see um, what happens. But it's, yeah. So I, I put the links. I don't know if we'll, we'll link them or not. But save Bardmore, save save the tides. It's, it's just really interesting coming. I'm biased, of course. Just looking at it like why are people hating on this like it's not your land yes you bought yeah. it and the home there and your backyard had the view of someone else's property um but that's not yours I, of course have empathy for them like they paid whatever for their house with the expectation of like hey that's our backyard it's amazing but it's like oh it's it's how do you you can't please everybody so it'll be yeah. interesting to see what happens um, i clicked the links what, it's yeah they really uh try to it's, pull at the heartstrings with Ooh, they uh, do they they you know threaten species and if you build you'll all and these like, homes. I know. And they're trying animals. all this, this stuff. It's like, okay. The, and some of the pictures okay, are like, there's I, a raccoon. Me, What's happening here? Yeah, right. There's right. one <laughs> comment here cracks me up where they say, it's happening everywhere. We are under assault. Uh, yes. <laughs> The golf courses and, are going out of business. <laughs> so oh. two, two 
things that come to mind here. One is it is definitely a, an insight into how emotional mm -hmm. homes make people, mm -hmm. right? We're yeah. not talking about a story time, but you had a little hiccup on your house oh, yeah. that you found out about yesterday evening. And even though we're all pretty confident that everything's going to turn out fine, it's like, oh, they're, they're like the adrenaline spikes and you're like, what's going on? And how's this, yeah. you know, and for these people, you know, home is the second emotive, most emotive word in the English language after mom. So mom creates the strongest immediate reaction. Home is the second. And mm -hmm. these people feel like their home is the community, which is also an interesting takeaway for marketers, right? The community is their home as much as the home is their home. Mm -hmm. And they feel like they're going to lose it. Now, the interesting thing is, okay, so the golf course is not financially stable, would go out of business, it would become overgrown, look ugly, no one wants that. Could it be turned into other things? Sure. The town could buy the land and raise your taxes to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, no, we don't want that. We don't want to pay more oh, taxes because we moved to Florida for low taxes. So uh, that's what I think it's it's disingenuous where if all those people wanted to chip in together and buy the golf course, go for it. Yeah. But mm -hmm. million that's not what anyone, right. <laughs> right. I mean, what, what's 20, if you live in a $2 million house and there's a hundred of them, yeah. what's the big right. deal? Everyone chip in a couple hundred grand and yeah. you get to keep your perfect green views. Oh, you're gonna have to maintain it after you buy it. You know, yeah. So it's definitely, mm -hmm. but we understand why people do this because it is so emotional. And the other thing this reminded me of is uh, when I was in Pittsburgh, the neighborhood that I, I lived in called the, the Woodlands, there was a stub street that had been put in originally. And a stub street, for those of you who may not know, is saying at some point it was either planned or is leaving open the opportunity in the future to continue that road on to connect to either another future community or uh, main road, whatever. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's just gotcha. that road with the signs on it that people kind of pretend is a, is a quasi cul-de-sac. <laughs> One day, I, it was Saturday afternoon, my door, someone knocks on my door, I go to answer it and they said, we would like to you to sign a petition because the developer is trying to continue this street and it's not safe and it's going to cause more traffic. And we bought those lots, built our house there eight years ago. And it's been great to have that area for the kids to play. And we're going to lose that. And yeah. we'd love for you to sign this petition. And I just smiled at them and I said, well, <laughs> one, I, I work for the builder, so I can't do that. And, <laughs> right. and, and, and two, <laughs> did you not know that that was, and, I, and so it was interesting because I wasn't coming at it from a condescending standpoint. I was just genuinely curious. Mm -hmm. I live here too. I am one of your neighbors. And so in terms of traffic and all that, right, I, I'm not going to lose this area for my kids to play because it's too far away. My kids don't go down to that area to play. I don't lose that, but otherwise I'm in this with you. And yet I don't see the big deal because you chose to build there. I bought maybe the third remaining home site in the community. Mm -hmm. So everyone else had picked long before I did. I was like the last one in. And so those people chose that specific spot knowing that there is a street that kind of halfway ends here. I don't know. So it's yeah. um, people are people are people, which is another way of saying people. we're all strange. I was just going to say, and we, <laughs> a lot of people don't like change. I think that's uh -huh. a, a big thing too. They get used to being in their bubble. Oh yeah. Especially the older demographic are not. Yes. One more fun story. So the neighborhood I'm in now, Ooh. there is a path, a walking path along the main road here, okay. and it terminates at a strange place. Like you can walk from here all the way down the road to a park and you would think it would continue on to let you continue to walk. But no, it just kind of dead ends about 50 to 80 yards before the main entrance to the neighborhood. And the reason it dead ends is it was supposed to turn and go through in between two yards in the neighborhood because the topography at the entrance is too rough for the walkway, I guess. So it was supposed to turn in between these two homes and the person slash persons who live where they didn't want that to end up being put in at the later date. And so this person ended up planting, I don't know, like 30 trees and gathering what? boulders oh from all over the, and, and like building this wow. like rock garden <laughs> slash forest. 
as if to say like now for sure you can't build this walkway here because look i've spent all this time and energy creating this ugly rock garden oh it's just my gosh people are funny (laughs) anyway people are great what's that song people are crazy but social media also gives them an opportunity to communicate together and join forces in a way that is different and is challenging for builders to deal with it's public now yeah it's out there and and this is also why we can't have nice things affordable homes we can't have affordable homes because we have to satisfy the mobs well like one of these comments they will try to tear us down but they will not win it's yeah it's really strange you just reminded me of another one jack we could do this we could do a whole show just on this jackie do you remember another person in 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 washington pennsylvania there was a gentleman who started a youtube channel yes that when when trees were cleared like for the homes to be built on so this was not like oh we're gonna have to cut down more trees but it was obvious like if you want to put a house you have to cut trees down yeah and this was a grown person crying and talking about the trees are screaming out and and again it's not that i mean who doesn't love trees but But the act of i'm surprised or shocked or how could this happen it is interesting you know how how that hits people it does and like we've talked about before about all the social media i mean people are more inept to jump on and maybe say something negative quicker than they would positive so yeah yeah and now look because of all this bad energy i put out there there are hoa is going to announce they're going to put in a quickie mart across the street from me or something (laughs) that'll be so convenient you can hey (laughs) right i'll go across the street i need you know whatever it's right there right parking lot and your parking driveway oh my goodness that that was was, uh that was uh entertaining i hope uh wrapping up before we switch over to the news we are announcing the guest speakers for this year's online sales and marketing summit so this year we're going to have three different guest speakers all kick off with around a 30 minute keynote on day one and they're all going to be coming from different perspectives because they all have different backgrounds about how does marketing technology and salespeople and storytelling, how does that all intertwine and work best in today's world? We're going to be joined by Jeff Turner. Now, Jeff has been on the podcast before. We'll link to his episode in the show notes. But Jeff Turner specializes in helping technology startups understand and navigate the complexities of the North American real estate market. That's fancy language for he's incredibly smart about how to use technology and apply it to real estate. He's been involved in multiple startups, many that have gone on to be extremely successful and have been sold to larger organizations. And currently, Jeff is the entrepreneur in residence for Second Century Ventures and NAR's Reach program. He's also head of strategy at Viewer and advisor to Front Door. This is a guy you're going to want to hear talk from the stage. We're also going to be joined by Elena Money. Big money. Many of you nice. as well know her and love her. She's going to be talking about how she has intentionally worked to make her builder different, not just in product, but in every sense of the word, similar to how Starbucks. Very exciting. Differentiates itself from everyone else that sells coffee. And then we're also going to have Stephen Pasnelli, the CMO at BombBomb, talking about humanity, cutting through the clutter and use of technology and storytelling and connection in great new content that none of you have heard before. It's going to be a great way to get it started. Super excited. So we're going to be talking a lot more about the online summit in weeks to come because VIP tickets will go on sale in early May. We've been selling out for the last two years in under three hours. So make sure you're on that list. All right. On to the news. And we're going to start off with a low note. <laughs> no, 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 no. Need- NPR headline, housing department slaps Facebook with discrimination charge. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a follow up from last week when we talked about switching to conversion campaigns because Facebook is taking away a lot mm-hmm. of our targeting. And so this is really the same story, except before it was a Facebook had um, settlements with I think it was ACLU and a few other. Um, yep. I don't know the names. I don't watch enough news. A few other rights organizations that sued Facebook. 
Facebook. And now here's to getting official with the government getting involved. And yeah, and uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see how far this goes. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, were either of you yeah. very surprised? Um, no, I, I was gonna say it's <laughs> I was curious how long it would take to this point for this to finally happen. Yeah, it's to me, it's interesting. So there, uh, Donald Trump, if you remember, when was this? A year and a half ago, we talked about Donald Trump's Facebook campaign versus Hillary's uh-huh. Facebook campaign and their strategies. And Donald's Trump guy used conversion campaigns and all this super fancy stuff to mm-hmm. target the right person to make their spend like exponentially more efficient than Hillary's, even though they spent, I forgot who spent more or less, but you know, their results were you know on the Facebook side, the data just ridiculous because they were doing uh, using the system better. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm like, Facebook kind of won you the election. So I don't know. If I'm like, that, that was my only surprise as far as like, yeah. oh, you know, you use Facebook and you got like his Facebook marketer guys kind of out there and the news has been on with interviews and stuff. I do remember that was so, a big thing for them. Yeah. The social media aspect of it. I'm just surprised it's taken this long because yeah. I started in 2003. It was very common to hear stories 2003, 2006 of people continuing to be hit with housing discrimination lawsuits from newspapers ads, from signage stuff all the time, right? If you didn't have your logos in the right spot saying we will sell to anyone, you were going to get nailed. And it was easier because people could drive around and as people are out doing life, they're seeing it. Mm -hmm. And I understood that it was harder for HUD and other folks to work on enforcement of that because you may not see the ads yourselves and they they may not be progressive technologists technologists who are are even maybe even using social media. So all of a sudden there's less ads maybe to get caught. But I've always found it interesting that there hasn't been more people getting nailed for doing stuff wrong. And even now, mm-hmm. it's like we're not we're not talking about who are these specific companies that are using the tool wrong. Mm-mm. It's the tool that's getting in trouble. Whereas newspapers were not the ones getting in trouble when and it was like, no, you the builder, you're getting you're getting fined. You're getting sued. Yeah, you're in big trouble. It's reverse. In the article, yeah. this is interesting. Um, I'll read the quote. Facebook added, HUD insisted on access to sensitive information like user data without adequate safety guards. That's interesting that I wonder if they will try to look and see what advertisers did discriminate. Well, they they did say in a different article that I was reading last night that they are pledging that they're going to create a separate tool for housing that will let everyone be able to see what ads for housing are being run to kind of self-police. So kind of uh, not necessarily Hmm. retroactive, but in the future, government or an agency of some sort would have the ability to let's just go see what everyone's doing and, and how they're doing. The idea of if I know what works, I should just do more of that and less of everything else, right? That That is, yeah. if you go down that too far, you can discriminate. So I understand the need for protection and, and safeguards as well. And it's also not in your best interest to be as efficient as possible. Usually you have to find that balance of being efficient and effective because that's why we all have heard the the folktale anyway of the multimillionaire going into to the BMW dealership and getting terrible service because he looks like a hobo, right? So that you, you can't be mm-hmm. so efficient that you only want to work with the best type of prospects that you only want to market to the absolute best kind of person because you, you and even you know, when we talked about an age targeted community we would we in the past would always tell people don't just pick 55 and older oh no because one facebook doesn't know and two people lie about how old they are all the time so mm. why not go ahead and advertise to people who are in their 40s for that age targeted neighborhood even back then like this is yeah. years ago and it's like planting the seed yeah yeah, yeah. so you can't over maximize on efficiency 
or you'll you'll end up losing and and sometimes even just going into a place that you never intended in terms of discrimination. Anyway, very interesting. Moving on, moving on. to the next one, we got a cool tool. Oh. I love a new cool tool comes to town. Say that five cool. times fast, yeah, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> new cool tool. I can't say. It. Um, so yeah, it's called Crowd Tangle, <laughs> and it's a Chrome extension. So if you're using Google Chrome, well, the link you click it, it installs, and then you could go to your website and see where on let's see, it's Facebook. I need to pull the list up. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit where your link. So if it's homebuilder.com is on those social networks where it was shared. Very interesting. So you could see if like, okay, we have this community. Yeah. Has Is anyone talking mm -hmm. about it? Or a competitor community. Is anyone talking about that competitor community? And you're like, oh, well, they have 40 people talking about it. We have zero. Hmm, mm -hmm. What's going on yeah. here? This is um, not a one-to-one -one comparison, but it kind of reminds me, maybe it still exists, but you used to be able to overlay your click-through percentages in analytics on top oh, yeah. of your actual website. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't done that in forever. It may still exist, but it's, it's just really cool to be able to see the data contextually with the site that you're on or the page that you're on. Yeah. Yep, yep. That's what I think makes this so, and, and it is super easy. I mean, very Andrew easy. You just put click it on it. the show notes and like two minutes before we got going, I just installed it, went somewhere and clicked it. I'm like, oh, that works. Yep. Okay. That's, uh, that's, that's awesome. Yep. And it's, it's free and yeah, so it's cool. And then Reddit is interesting because that's, you know, where you, where us millennials, I guess, would, would hang out. Some of us weirdos. And so millennials could, and haters. Millennials. You, you can, uh, yeah. Those are like rabbit holes. Trolls. So yeah. the trolls yeah. and haters. So you could look at that. And of course, if you put a, say a big builder in there, because they've worked with tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people, you could see like, oh, look, those people are talking about that experience with that builder on there and, and those issues. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, or on the positive side, you'll see the positive um, things that people are saying as well. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's fun. Another, yeah. another useful piece to maybe get some interesting stats. I agree. For sure. And you can look at, at your competitors if you go on their stuff as well. So you don't have to just look at, at your own. I mean, any website you're going to, you're going to get some data from. Speaking of social media data, let's go back to the piece that we teased on last week's episode. This is a report from Draper DNA. They are an agency dedicated to helping home and building businesses overcome their greatest marketing challenges. So 50 brought to you by Draper DNA. But this uh, great piece, it's 43 pages in uh, PDF format. So this is a monster of it's a lot of words, a, a book. Yeah. But I just wanted to come through and, and let's just talk about how they did this. They used a tool called Rival IQ to analyze social media posts across all social channels for the top 50 home builders as defined by Hanley Woods Big Builder Report. The data is from August 1st, 2018 through January 31st, 2019. And as far as we can tell, the one thing that's important for everyone to know is we do not believe that paid advertising data is included in this report. And that makes sense as we were kind of poking our, our nose around. Ad data is only available when the ad is actually running. Yep. So when you go to a Facebook page on your desktop and see, click the info and ads tab, you can see the ads that are running. You can get a sense of engagement amount. You don't know how much they're spending. You don't know how many total people they have reached, but you can see all the comments and engagements and, and details there. But if the ad is turned off, you're not able to get that data. So it, it would make sense that they're not able to create a tool where they can promise you they're going to grab all the ad data on top of the organic. So this is mostly probably organic data, but still interesting. Mm. Let's look at the first yeah. one, which, which we talked about last week, cross-channel engagement total. So this is just total engagement across all channels. And this does match much more closely the Big Builder article, but Lennar, number one, by a long mile. Oh, Taylor yeah. Morrison, number two. David Weekly, number yeah. three. Toll Brothers, number four. Habitat, number five. And Lennar is, again, like twice as much total engagement across all channels as Taylor Morrison. But the other interesting thing, uh, one of the things you have to understand is how many times are they posting? So when we look at uh, cross-channel engagement rate per post, so how much are people actually engaging with yeah. the number of posts that are out there? Then we go back to the Villages, number one, Bloomfield Homes, number two, True Homes USA, number three. Number 
number one village is 6.2% engagement rate. The lowest one on the screenshot that I have right here is NVR 0.61. Uh, in, but they're still in like the top. I think it's top 10. Mm. So it the drops villages, off again. Rather, They have a jingle, don't they? That's a side. Don't they have like a jingle to village? <laughs> they have a song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have a song. America's friendliest hometown. Now why that's stuck in my head. I don't know why I remember that or seen that. Interesting. So engagement rate, uh, some clarity. Is this Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? I think was the three. It, YouTube. Socials. YouTube. Yep. Oh, okay. So okay. literally everything. Okay, cool. Yeah, pretty much everything. Exactly. Wow. Six percent. That's interesting. They do break it out. We won't go in, in depth because it's 43 pages, but uh, the Facebook engagement rate specifically proposed the highest is 2%. True Homes USA, Long Lake Limited, 1.6. Dan Ryan, 0.89. And then uh, it rounding out on my screenshot here, Beezer Homes at the bottom with 0.005%. Hmm. Engagement rate proposed on Facebook, not as high as the overall uh, percentages it doesn't look like. But then the other super interesting one to me was the amount of Facebook posts on average made per day. This is a medium where your organic posting is not reaching anyone to the, to the same amount. And Beezer leads the charge with 4.43 posts on Facebook Ooh, wow. each and every day. I'm looking that up right now to see what wow, uh, you should crazy. look up and see what agency is doing their work because they're probably paying someone a lot. I and I, we haven't looked at it. I could be totally wrong. It could be a, a team in-house who's doing a fantastic job pushing out amazing content. But my hunch is that it's going to be watered down content done by an agency that they're paying a lot of money for. Uh, it's all, um, so it's all product focused. It's not to, so the villages has an advantage on the engagement rate because they're a community, you know, like mm -hmm. you're living there. Right. And it looks like 80% of the villages stuff is community focused events, things going on, but it yep. gives you a feel for what it's like to live there. If you're like, eh, let's see. And no wonder it's, you know, I forgot they're still like top 10 selling currently and it's been there forever. Right. Yep. Um, but yeah, so it's, yeah, product focused. Beezer's mostly product. Focused. So then it could be an internal Correct. team and because yeah. they're geographically so spread out, they might have a policy of just, we want every division to get a post every so that's week what or I was two. Thinking. And so that, yeah. that might be yeah. driving the high number. Um, let's go find an average in still in the top 25 of one post a day. Uh, Neil Communities, one post okay. a day. David Weekly, one post a day. DR Hort, one post a day. So it's not, not crazy. One seems to be the average, yeah. YouTube views of all time as of January oh, wow. 31st, 2019. This one was also interesting. And I think we should spend some time seeing what type of content is there. But Lennar, mm -hmm. again, way ahead, 31.5 million. Oh, number two, Toll Brothers, 21.6 million. Wow. Then Beezer, basically 5 million. KB Homes, three and a half. KB. Taylor Morrison, 2.6. Perry Homes, 2.37 million. Hmm, um, Perry Clayton Homes, Property I Group, 1.3. And uh, Fisher, 612,000. So you got an interesting, I mean, I just, how much content is there? What type of content is it? I don't know. But uh, we should all spend some time checking those guys out and see, did they get the viewership from paying for it? Is it fantastic content? Is it high quantity of content? Yeah. It's definitely worth digging into when you got someone who is 30 million more than number Huge. 20. Yeah. Oh, for sure. The, um, so YouTube is, it could be a little sneaky because that will include um, if you Ads. Av advertise uh, the video, correct? So I'm right. looking at Lennar's just because they were the outlier and that, like their happy holidays from Lennar, which they probably, I'm assuming they set up as like a remarketing ad to everyone mm -hmm. around a holiday and that's 75,000 views. But then you go to um, say video next to it, which was not advertised home home versus rent when you realize it's time to move on. So buying versus renting 126 views and it's like yeah. the same time frame. So mm -hmm. not to say that's which wrong isn't surprising. Right, but... No, right. It's not because most YouTube videos for home builders are not watched unless it's either integrated into an email follow up process as a kind of a PS. Hey, check this out. Look at this mm -hmm. video or used in a in an ad somewhere because most of the time people are sticking their videos in a separate video section that only 
2% or less of their website viewers are going to go to. So if it's not integrated content yeah. within the community and home pages, no one's no one's looking at it. Yep. Big difference. So 43 pages of awesomeness. That's we will a lot. I'm guessing this is public. If it's not public, <laughs> we'll just put it in a Dropbox folder uh, so you get it. Or else you can go to draperdna.com, all one word. The, the disclaimer, I think it's probably a, a lead gen piece. So if you yeah. have so if it is, we'll, it. we'll help. Good luck. We'll make yeah. sure they, well, well, no, we'll help them get leads. Yeah, uh, get some leads. But have fun. Have fun getting sold if you get sold. I, I sound so negative, but like, you know, that's the intent. They, they do the research. It's yeah. awesome. It's this very in-depth piece. And then yep. they want to have yeah. conversations with those. This is one of those rare occasions where I feel yeah. like it's worth giving an email yeah. address for. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. They did a great job with yeah. it. All right. Let's uh, take a break. And when we come back, the one, the only Jeff Shore will join us. And we're going to we're going to talk about some things that you may not have ever heard him talk about before. How he got in home building, his journey through it, when he knew it was time to take the leap, some entrepreneurial types of types of stuff that'll be fun. And then, of course, we'll dive into psychology of sales and marketing. We'll be right back. And we're back with Jeff Shore, the one and the only. This is amazing. It's not just the 50th yes. episode, but we have, no lie, the biggest name in our industry with us please, today as well. Please. You all know <laughs> him. You all love him. I truly think he is, there's no better talent in our industry, not just at speaking and, and training salespeople, but at creating new relevant content on a consistent basis. I think that's his superpower. We'll see what he says later. But Jeff is the founder and president of Shore Consulting, and he like everyone at Do You Convert comes with amazing experience behind him. And we're going to dig into that and a lot more. He's not just someone pontificating in the clouds, but he does have that background and, and still at times is on the sales floor himself. Unbelievable. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate it. That was very, very kind. Uh, uh, thank you, Kevin and Andrew. Appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. We are creators of content as well, but mm -hmm. we're yep. always looking at, I mean, you've written how many books now? Uh, seven, eight. Wow. Uh, See, no, when you lose count, that's when you know you are a, a content mastermind. Well, the problem is that I have, I have, I have one under works right now, and uh -huh. one that's being rewritten and updated right now. So I, it oh. it all just sort of jumbles together after a while. Yeah. Yep, it's easy for me. The answer is one, <laughs> and it nearly killed me. It nearly uh, killed yeah, me. but you know, it's but it, uh, do you remember Kevin though when you first opened that? You know, they they shipped you a box of whatever forty books or whatever. Do you remember uh -huh. opening that box for the very very first time? I definitely do. In fact, it, the first one was the the press proof of just a single copy. Mm, mm -hmm. And my yep. mom, who I love, she tried to take it to go home and, and read it herself. And I was like, give me that. You are not, you can't do that. that is mine. That's <laughs> that's going under glass right there. Yeah. I, I, I got back from nice. a business trip and, and Karen said, you got to go into the garage. I went into the garage and there's a pallet. This is how stupid I am. There's a pallet of 2000 <laughs> copies of the book, uh, deal with it, my very first book. And, and I remember just, and Karen was out there with me. I said, you need to leave. I need a, a little time alone. And, and I was just, <laughs> standing with this pallet and a box cutter in my hand, you know, just, just, and it took me the longest time just to open it up. And, and I'm thinking, what am I, th I only have five friends on the planet and they don't want to read this book. What am I going to do with 2000 copies of this book? But my hand was literally shaking when I opened up that first box, but I'll never forget the moment. It was really, really cool. And then do you remember the moment that you saw your first typo or grammatical thing that wasn't caught through the 10 proofs? 
about three about three minutes later you mean <laughs> oh, my. oh it's just- yeah I, I still have kept a copy of that first edition of that first book because there i think that book was uh, updated a few times but uh that first copy oh my goodness it was all throughout it was it's it's i look back it's funny now but hey i had a book i had a book and people actually bought it go figure that jeff do you have a favorite book that you've written i'm sure you love them all but is there one that really rings to you like hey that's definitely my favorite one well you know for business purposes the four two formula is really our it's our curriculum i mean it's our the textbook for what it is that we teach and so many people over the years when if i'm speaking and they come up and they ask me to sign it and it's not just that i'm signing the book but but that i'm signing a copy that has been dog-eared and highlighted and falling apart and as an author that that's not there's no greater joy that you have in signing somebody's really well marked book but there's no question about it um be bold and win the sale uh, about comfort addictions in the sales process was so much of a journey not just writing a book it was a it was a life journey that i'm still on um and and i i can't that book changed me it really really did and 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 there's more to come on that uh, as i'm i'm looking at my goal board right now in my office and that the whole comfort addiction concept is not i'm not done on that i've got more work to do and i'm really looking forward to it and that's one that is gonna if you if you apply those principles it, it's impossible to keep it confined to the sales arena right? which is why i'm not done right there's a whole <laughs> there's a there's a whole live bold concept out there Ooh. that uh that that i i, I need to explore it it's sort of hey like, andrew I, I, go check GoDaddy and see if livebold.com is already <laughs> live bold. i feel like that has to be taken anything it's that short be taken. that simple yeah, yeah. It, it's being parked right now so who wants to buy it i'm sure it'll be 20 30 40 thousand dollars yeah it might be worth oh, it oh my well jeff yeah. we often use superhero analogies on this show and of course with you it especially fits and is relevant tell us a little bit about jeff shore's origin story how did you get into this crazy business of home building you know when i was uh when i was young in my early 20s i, I was kind of strange I, I had i knew i had an entrepreneurial spirit but i didn't know what i wanted to do with it i, I was a really a dreamer without a dream and everything caught my eye everything it didn't matter i was gonna i was gonna move to new york and write music <laughs> and i was i mean it didn't matter i, I was like i had a, an idea a day and then uh i was waiting tables uh, which is what dreamers without dreams uh do i guess and uh i i it was late at night and i saw this infomercial about how you can get filthy stinking rich using other people's money buying real estate and uh oh. i i it took whatever money i could scramble together 200 dollars whatever it was to go to a conference on how to buy real estate with no money down and uh, as it turned out it was all highly illegal and and, uh, and extremely <laughs> sketchy that's why they say and, filthy rich right yeah that's filthy. right exactly uh, and it's it, the guy literally went to jail i mean it was just it was crazy but <laughs> it put the taste in my mouth of uh, of uh, real estate and uh, i started on resale and i was not good at it I, I was when i got a client i was great at taking care of the client but i was not good at lead generation lead generation was just not my thing it wasn't until i switched over to new home sales and found out that i was this is going to sound horribly arrogant oh, oh well i was great at lead conversion i, I lead mm. generation was not my uh, lane but lead conversion when you put them in front of me man i was a fish in water it was really really great and i knew that this is it i, I found my place this is where i want to stay because the builder took a lot of the weight off your shoulders from the legion like people were just walking in the door right what year was that when you started working with a builder roughly that was oh let's see that would have been 1987 so i'm i'm old so new, i'm an old okay. person everybody <laughs> so all i had to do was run that fifteen thousand dollar full page ad and people walked yes. in the door that's uh, it's a pr- pretty much the way it worked and and my first couple of years in the business uh most people don't remember this because they're, they're just not 
old enough to remember this, but the first couple of years in the business, it was a, a, a sharp incline up. It was going, it was going really well. The economy is strong. People were buying homes, and and I was like, it took no time at all before you know I was wearing a nice suit. I had the plaques on the wall. I was driving a a, a BMW. <laughs> it was all good. And and if you know, I'm sure the market had something to do with it, but mostly it was me. And then uh, what happened? <laughs> uh, you know, the market just fell off the cliff. It all went south on us, and and I was almost out of the industry. I was, it, it went so bad so fast and I had to completely reinvent, but I'm glad, I, obviously I'm glad I went through it. I learned things in that tough market that I couldn't learn uh, any other way. And how long did you, did you sell new homes in that, that format? Before I lost my brain and went to uh, sales executive leadership. Is that, is that the name? Uh, yeah, it was about, yeah, it was about eight years. Um, oh, and uh, 500 homes or so later and, and uh, made the move into uh, uh, sales management. And how about the time frame between being management to going to consultant and trainer. Yeah, I uh, I I was uh, you know the sales leader, VP of sales, that sort of thing, and then I was national sales director for a very very large home builder. I'm not going to mention the name, but the initials K and B are in there somewhere, so you guys <laughs> probably figure it out. Hey, it called- <laughs> Andrew is building a KB home there right now. I there literally go. had my uh, pre drywall walkthrough like an hour ago. That's that's fantastic. That's great. Uh, and and it, it wasn't called KB at the time. Uh, old schoolers remember it as Coffin and Broad, which was the company that I worked for. And that was up until uh, 1999 or late 1998 is when I actually left company. Okay. So I was a junior in high school with a twinkle in my eye when (laughs) Jeff was ready to take over the world. So (laughs) what was it that made you decide to take the leap from from being inside a home builder to trying to tackle making change happen from the outside? Well, it it was interesting. I, I got a taste of training when I worked for the builder. So I knew that I enjoyed it and I had the opportunity to speak at a couple of home builder conferences. And I was like, oh, oh, oh this is this is fun. And so I, I knew that there was that uh, thought out there, but it really wasn't until there was uh, a big reorganization in the organiza- in, in the company when they bought another builder and there were just too many bodies and not enough chairs. And uh, they offered me a position that I just would not take because it required yet another relocation. I just simply was not going to do it. And I just, we just mm-hmm. stared across the table at the, at the head of HR and uh, we, we started the negotiation. It's like, th- thanks for your uh, 11 years here. Here's some lovely parting gifts. Uh, enjoy the rest of your life. And so uh, it was one of those things where I did not have the guts, frankly, to do it on my own. Uh, but uh, I got a, you know, I, I got a nice severance package and and that sort of uh, staked me into where I was going to go next. I interviewed uh, for a couple of other positions that my heart was not into. And then I just picked up the phone and I, I, I made a couple of phone calls to people that I had worked with who now are populating the leadership staffs at other builders. And before you know mm-hmm. it. Oh man, I need a, I need a fax machine. I need business cards. I got to learn QuickBooks. And uh, <laughs> I, it wasn't like I had gone to a career counselor and said, this is what you need to do. And here are all the steps. I just stumbled into it. And before I knew it, my calendar was absolutely full and I just sort of never looked back. Like all good origin stories, a lot of good drama there, but I <laughs> I had not heard that entire story. So thanks for sharing it with us. It, it's, it, I look back on it now and I realized that uh, I, I had, uh, I had nine good years at KB and I was there for 11 years. So I was, it was, it was two years uh, too late in the coming, but, and that, I don't, I'm not blaming KB on that. That was me. Sometimes it's time to move on. But uh, once again, there's that comfort addiction that sort of locks you in. And I mean, I had three kids. It was a steady paycheck. Uh, there's, there wasn't a lot to complain about, but I also knew deep down, this is not what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. We get asked, uh, myself, I feel like maybe more than others, just because they know that I've taken the leap recently. Mm-hmm. But I get asked quite a bit by folks who are still early in their career, 
even if they're older, they've not been in home building very long, but, but they kind of feel like they're frustrated or see opportunity to go off and do their own thing. And they've only been in the business for, for maybe two or three years. Do you have any advice for them or for people who, I mean, we live in an entrepreneurial time, right? Anyone yeah. has the opportunity and the tools with, with a computer in front of them to do anything. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Well, I think my first piece of advice would be to get lots and lots of advice. I I, I, I think before we make these moves, we sometimes we're not as self-aware as we think we are. And if you have people in your life who are willing to really give you the honest truth, who are really willing to tell you, you know, the truth about what they see in you. And I, I know for me, I remember sitting down with a gentleman by the name of Eric Elder. He had been the senior vice president of marketing for uh, Kaufman and Broad before he went over to a, a great career at uh, Ryland. He's out on his own now. Mm. And we sat down at Jerry's Deli in Westwood, uh, Los Angeles. And I, I remember asking him the question. I was still at KB at the time, but I remember sitting there and asking him the question, um, Eric, if if I ever, now hypothetically, now just, I know this is what this is stupid. This is stupid. It's stupid. Okay. This is really stupid. But Eric, if uh, theoretically now, if I ever decided I was going to like go out on my own, on my, on, 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 on my own, do you think anybody would hire me? And, and Eric looked at me across the table and he said, first of all, you'd be a fool not to go out on your own. And secondly, call me first because I'll hire you on the phone. And it's, it was that piece of encouragement that I really needed to be able to do it. And, and then I talked to, I actually paid to go to a, uh, a career counselor to, to say, Hey, do I have the skill set? What does this look like? I think too many people just look at it and they go, I have a dream. I have a vision. Well, maybe you have a dream and maybe you have a vision, but do you really know the hard truth about what it's going to be? So, so I I'd say, talk to people who are willing to be honest, not to people who are going to give you platitudes, talk to people who are willing to be honest. And then from there, you got to answer one overriding question, especially and it's one thing if you're going to work for somebody else, but if you're going to out on your own, you've got to be able to ask the question, how do I get revenue? And that was one piece of advice that I got early on was you're going to want to, you know, you're going to want to learn QuickBooks. You're going to want to design your own cool logo. You're going to want to do all this stuff. Forget it. Get revenue, get revenue, get revenue. If you cannot figure out your path to revenue, it is the lifeblood to what it is that you're going to do if you're a startup. If you can't get revenue, you don't have a company. And I think a lot of people, when they think about going out on their own, they think about all the cool ins and outs of what they want to do. And they stop short of really understanding how they get revenue. That was, that's, that's yeah. the magic potion. And, and one of the cool things that you get to do from my own experience is you get to go shopping for groceries at four different stores, right? I mean, when I, when I, when I made the leap to come to do you convert, I was going to Aldi for some things, Walmart for another target and then Kroger, because it was just, how do we live on a number? Because before revenue comes in, mm -hmm. you also have to be willing to eat dirt as some people uh, say, right? Just mm -hmm. control those expenses. And, and if you're not willing to make that type of commitment, then that's probably another sign that there's yet more work to do. But, but that's the way it should be, Kevin, right? It's the idea that if it's, if there's no cost involved, then it's not worth anything, right? That's, that's uh, Thomas Paine once said that, which is easily attained as lightly esteemed. When you have to pay the price, man, there's, there's, uh, there's something appreciated about that, that you're not going to get in any other way. Awesome. We asked this question, um, to almost all our guests, if we, if we remember, um, what is your superpower? And in other words, what do you think you do best? Well, those are two different questions. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Superpower. I don't know about superpower. You can give two answers. Uh, yeah, two answers. Okay. <laughs> That's our right, answers. Two Anything answers. you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, it's, it's always weird because it sounds arrogant, but, uh, I'll just say it anyway. I, I think I have exceptionally good, um, short-term problem solving skills. I, I think I can size up a situation in a hurry and offer a, a reasonably sound solution. And that skill is really, really critical when 
you're in a consulting or training environment where you, you just never know what you're going to have to deal with, what's going to be thrown your way. Um, but I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty cool under that problem solving uh, pressure. But I think the other thing is that I'm, I'm just a very curious person. And I, I don't know if I would call that a superpower. I would call it something that I'm absolutely dedicated to, but I like to study and, and I know how to repurpose the work of uh, people who are much smarter than I am. So uh, I can read something really wonky and deeply scientific by somebody like, you know, one of my heroes, Daniel Kahneman, mm-hmm. the founder of behavioral economics, or, you know, uh, you know, Dan Gilbert or, uh, you know, Martin uh, uh, Lindstrom, any of these guys, and then repurpose it for application to the sales industry. Yeah. Because most of these guys, they're not sitting around thinking about what does this concept mean to sales? And so if I can step in and stand in the gap and I give them credit for the thought uh, and, and how they spur me on, but I like to think that I can take what they are saying, grit my head around it, and then make it approachable for everyday practitioners. And that's the gap that I love standing in. And I completely agree that that is something you do really, really well because it's, and, and it sounds very, even it, it didn't sound arrogant at all because it, when you say it, it sounds very simplistic, right? I'm just taking a thought that one person had and proven science and I'm <laughs> filling that gap, but that gap is not, it's a Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls kind of gap and people don't know how to cross it. Well, I've learned that even in, in my podcast, The Buyer's Mind, where I'm talking oftentimes to, you know, neuroscientists and, and uh, you know, a, a behavioral economists and, and they write these extremely wonky white papers that have all of these charts and graphs that I can't begin to understand. And and then you look at and you go, you guys have, you're sitting on gold mines out here, but it's not approachable. There's mm-hmm. no way to be able to apply this to the real world. And and that's what I at least try to do is step in and, and find that connection. And, and I find it so thrilling. I find it so mentally stimulating to be able to take those concepts and turn them over. And in fact, you know, in, in the 4-2 formula, we teach, we teach this formula that people buy when their current dissatisfaction times their future promise is greater than their cost plus their fear. So we, that that is the fundamental aspect of what we teach in the 4-2 formula. Well, that started in reading a Harvard Business Review article when I was in college. I still have that textbook I could point back to. And it was a it was actually a, a formula that the guy was writing about organizational change. And I said, uh. you know, if you tweak this and you change this over here, and then I just sort of put it up against the sale and it just never failed. I could identify why anybody buys anything according to the formula. And it started by reading a Harvard Business Review article in college. And to this, and I think I didn't really realize at the time where that was going to lead, but I still do that today. I, there, there are a lot of people that are much smarter than me, and uh, frankly, they need my help in taking <laughs> this and making it approachable uh, into the sales world. That's so interesting, Andrew, how that sounds exactly from it, a different side, what we're trying to do when it comes to digital marketing. Yeah, it yeah. is. Exactly. It is. Because you can't water it down too much because then no. like you really lose important, especially, you know, of course, I'm not as familiar with the sales side, but on marketing, there's a lot of nuance is where you can't leave out those details and understanding and understanding the context of say the data or why this platform works this way versus that way. Um, sure. You kind of have to know the detail, but it needs to be easy. You have to bridge that gap where it's actually understandable by say mm-hmm. leadership to understand how Google ads work versus Facebook ads in just spending the money mm-hmm. is that could be like a, I think we had this conversation this week. It's like a 20 minute conversation just saying, how do we spend Google money versus Facebook money? Yep. Definitely a challenge. And you have to make it easy so that they make the change. Sure. But then you also 
have to go circle back around. That you do. And so that's why people like me pay people like you <laughs> because we look at it and we go, I don't I don't know how this tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. I don't want to have to go figure out the 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 efficacy of, of a of a Google ad versus a Facebook. I don't want to know that. You tell me. You're smarter than me in this. You figure it out. Okay. Now you've led me down a path that I, I have to ask this question, which is sure. how how do you feel inside when someone's reaction to you sharing that is one of complete and utter disappointment of I thought you were just going to make this super like I thought I was paying money just to solve my problem, but I still have to apply myself to it. Do you maybe you don't see that <laughs> at all, but I'm just curious how yeah, you Yeah, sure we do. Is that frustrating? Is it sad? Does it make you angry? What what how, what kind of emotions rise up? Yeah, I think the co- the corollary there is when we're working with a client who thinks that a one-day training session is going to fix all of their problems. Yeah. And so for me, it's it's really a matter of the pre-work and understanding and being gutsy enough to say to a customer or a potential client, we are not the solution for you. We are we are simply not going to be able to give you what it is that you are looking for. And so early on, right, it's just, when you're a new business, you just, hey, just take the business, whatever it is, mm-hmm. just take the business. Mm-hmm. And then what you end up with is a business that's based on transactions, but it's not based on transformations. And I'm just, at this point, it's been 20 years for me at Shore Consulting. I, I have no interest in taking that job anymore. It's just, it's not stimulating. It's not fun. It's not rewarding for anybody. And so, uh, you know, but but that's the idea. It's, just, it's the exact same concept uh, is that I, if I can prevent that from happening up front, I'm a happier guy. And I think ultimately my clients are better served when I say no than when I say yeah. Yeah, it was a completely selfish question that may not make sense even to put on air, but to me, you know, we're happy to take your money and to just perform great digital marketing services for you. But that's, it, like you said, it's not fulfilling to me. I, it's always shocking when someone whose title is director of marketing for a home builder says, yeah, I don't need to know how the sausage is made. Just make sure that it's made, it's made really well and I mm-hmm. look good for it. And I'm, I'm always just surprised by, don't you want to know your own contribution? Don't you want to increase your contribution and value to the organization and grow? And But there's just a lot of people who don't have interest in doing that. Well, the corollary here, and I think it is worth airing, quite frankly, uh, is is the sales manager who doesn't attend the sales training that we would put mm. on or that any company puts mm. on. Right on. Uh, I, yeah. I look at that and I, I just go, you got to be kidding me. Uh, how could you be so detached and so disinterested to not want to know what your people are being taught? And of course, then any thought of coaching uh, after the fact, it's it's dead in the water. It's right. never going to happen. We, we, we want nothing to do with that type of organization. Yeah, exactly right. Okay, get back on track. So when I was on mm-hmm. The Buyer's Mind, or we recorded The Buyer's Mind uh, last week, you asked me this question. So I want to flip it back to you because I, I want to hear your take on it. In your opinion, what do you think the difference is between marketing and sales in today's world? So, all right, the tables just got turned on me here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> by the way, you, you, you were fantastic on that show. That was such a good interview. I loved it. It was blast. Uh, you know, look, if I I know that it's 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 going to be oversimplified, but I would look at it and say that I, I think marketing is about lead generation and sales about lead conversion. Mm-hmm. So I'm not into the idea of marketing as this catch-all that includes, you know, branding and image and design as ends unto themselves. So no, I don't just, I think that no company should ever care about branding, except that it leads you to an opportunity to sell something. Mm-hmm. And I I know that means that I see the whole entire world through a sales lens. I get that. But I think small companies get this wrong a lot. They go for cool, for cool's sake. But if marketing cannot take a neutral observer and turn that person into a lead, they're wasting their time. So I, I look at it from that that oversimplified uh, perspective. Marketing generates leads, sales converts leads. Same lens that we see it too. I mean, I didn't give you that, okay. that same answer on your show, knowing the audience yeah. mm-hmm. of your show, but we completely agree. In fact, we were just talking last 
last week about one of the questions we got at the show, which was, are you saying that branding is not as important? And one of the first things- It's a sensitive question. (laughs) It's a sensitive question (laughs) because that's more fun and and happy and quote unquote challenging, even though it's relatively easy. You look at colors and you say, I like that one. And then you have to create all sorts of false psychological reasons why that is uh, more powerful and worth the millions of dollars to to change it all. Of course, now my sarcasm is coming out full, full bore. But one of the first things I have to teach a marketing person when I'm coaching them is you need to understand that I think the view that you just said, Jeff, was not from a sales perspective. It's from an ownership. It's from a entrepreneur, a I'm paying something and I want a return on my investment perspective. And mm-hmm. if marketers don't understand that, that, that that is how they're being judged and will be judged for all time. It's not just the CFO. It's it's anyone with a C in front of their title mm-hmm. expects a return on their investment and colors and branding and stories don't cut it. That's right. When's the last time somebody came up to you and said, hey, cool branding, here's a hundred dollars. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. So do you see any common dysfunctions between sales and marketing that either yourself, your team here when working with builders, you know, all across the the country? How much time do we have? We we could spend a little. Really? The question behind the question, Jeff, is you get in deeper, way deeper on the sales end than we ever do. So inside of that Mm -hmm. circus tent, what are they really saying about us? Yeah. (laughs) Well, look, I, I think what it really comes down to is that uh, this, and and this isn't exclusive to sales and marketing. We see it with sales and operations, sales and land acquisitions. We see it over and over again. And it's thinking that ultimately that the sale is about the home itself or about the neighborhood or about the builder or about the features without stopping to, to constantly reset with the idea that everything, everything must be seen through the eye of the customer. So I'll give you an example of that. I was, uh, I was in Charlotte. I was working with a builder. We pulled up to one of their community. We did a, a community tour. We went to several different builders, but we went to their own community and we, we were on this little, you know, those little mini buses there mm-hmm. and we get off the bus. There's, there's a mm-hmm. ton of us managers and we're standing um, across the street from their model home. And I'm asking them, so just on first impression, just be a buyer right now. What, 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 what are you thinking? Or, or do, do you like what you see? Do you not like we, what, what, tell me what your first impressions are. And they're sitting there going, nice. Well, we like it. It's good. It's good design. It's good architecture. It's good lines. It's clean. And you know, so I said, great, good. Now do me a favor. Count the signs. <laughs> Count oh the signs. How many? So yeah. we had the main ID sign and we had the parking sign and then we had a handicap accessibility sign and we had two different signs on the front door. And then the ar- alarm company had a little posted sign there and the land comp- landscape company on the sign and the model sign. We counted from where we were standing, we counted 10 signs as soon as you got out of your car. Yep. Oh and so goodness. we just look at it and we go, what, what, what are we trying to, what message are we trying to send here to our customer right from the very beginning? Uh, it, it, this is not about your experience. It, it's about what we have to just throw in your face. Yep. So this is one simple example, but it, it's an example of, you know, this is all about the home, the product, the features. It's just, it just jam, jam, jam down your throat without really thinking through what is the customer experience? What does that look like? So I, I would I would say that, the, that this all gets sort of wrapped up into the idea of the disconnect between seeing this about the, the builder, about the brand, about the home itself without looking at it through the eyes of the customer. Just yesterday, I was in Las Vegas working with a builder, went into a model home right across the street from this model home in this brand new community in the, in the vacant lot that was right directly across the street, all of their roof tiles and a bunch of <laughs> building materials stacked up. Now they had, they had lots everywhere through the community, but the builder decided that that was a good place to be able to put all of their spare materials. And I look at it and I go, is it like, it is a deal killer? Maybe, maybe not. But to me, that's not a builder construction issue. That's a marketing 
branding issue. Uh-huh. That's the idea that we are not paying attention to the impressions that will cause somebody to want to move from an interested party into an actual buyer. I, like a moth to a flame, I have to ask you this question mm-hmm. too. Uh, sales sheets for individual inventory homes strewn out across the kitchen island. I was a builder two days ago and walk in the walk into the model. It feels good, looks good. It's all good until I reach the kitchen and then I feel like a filing cabinet threw up. There's just yeah. transactional information with factual data all over the place. How would you feel about that? And, and I would say in the freaking kitchen? Exactly right. I mean, some people suggest, some people <laughs> suggest that the kitchen is a fairly important room in the house. Now, look, I'm no genius on this, but where uh, do you want the eyes going? It, it is just, it, it uh, it's insane. But listen, I feel the same way about sales offices. I don't think it has to be just in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I walk into sales offices all the time and it's the same thing. It's like, how much data, how many information points can we put up on our walls? If, oh, wait a minute, I just found eight square inches over here. We could get something in there. And it's all just an assault on the senses uh, after a while. And your customer cannot begin to take it all in. They don't have the cognitive strength uh, to take in as much data as we throw at them. And Andrew, you talk about this all the time. Even if the brand is great and you understand the story of the builder, if your current dissatisfaction can't be met, the brand doesn't matter. So why put all that money and effort into that when at the end of the day, it has to meet their current dissatisfaction or they move on. Mm -hmm. All right. For those who stuck around to the end, let's get nerdy here. Are there any particular... Both of you. Both of you. (laughs) My favorite. (laughs) Exactly. Are there any particular psychological insights that you've discovered over your career that you think marketers in general are not doing a good job implementing or using? Things that you teach salespeople that when you look on the Mm -hmm. other side of the fence, you're like, hmm, I wonder why they don't don't do that. Call us out. Oh, yeah. Well, I think... If there was an umbrella to the, all that, it would it would it would fall under two words, and the words would be cognitive ease. It, it's we tend to think. I think I think we in marketing we look at it. We go the more information we can throw at you, the better off we're going to be. And it it just uh, confuses the brain. And and I think we know this through psychological research that a confused mind is going to say no. It doesn't know how to process it all. So the idea of just trying to keep things clean and easy, and not trying to inundate, because what happens is all. All of those data points that we're throwing out there are appealing to the logical side of the brain. Well, that's a problem because the brain doesn't, or the, not the brain, but the gut is where the decision gets made, right? The Swedish researcher Martin Lindstrom, 85% of the decision is made in the gut. It's supported by a 15% rationalization in the brain. So when we're just throwing the data out there, we're, we're literally taking customers away from the part of their soul that's that's going to make the decision in the first. It doesn't make any sense uh, to try and say, this is interesting, here you go. This is interesting. Here you go. Uh, unless it helps the customer to be able to step into their own future. So I, I think it's the the idea that it, it's what is sometimes called the any benefit theory. Is there any benefit to my customer knowing this? Oh, there is. There is. There's any benefit? Great. I'll throw it out there. But we don't stop and think, is the benefit uh, that we're going to get, that small as it might be, worth trumping the emotional connection that they really need to have in order to make a decision? I, I don't Is this making sense? Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, Every- 
every home builder that we visit, for the most part, when you look at the standard feature sheet, the included feature sheet, whatever magical word they want to use for this piece of paper that has 189 different bullet points on it, one of which is a doorbell and another is a mailbox. Right. Thank you. That's a doorbell. Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> and, and even worse, the only thing worse than that is when you have extra columns next to each one of those points to encourage them to go to their competitors and say, do you also have a doorbell and a mailbox? That's the only thing worse. Preach, <laughs> preach the dare to compare worksheet. Uh, it, it just drives me up the wall. You want to you want to load cognitive strain onto your customer. That's the ticket. The dare to compare worksheet mm-hmm. drives me crazy. Yep. Yep. OK, we are out of time, but I want to quickly go to jeffshore.com to learn about everything that Jeff and his team are, are doing around the country and, and how they're helping builders and other industries even outside of home building. But there's something coming up in August called the Sales Leadership Summit. And this is, well, have you done this uh, a long time now? Seven, eight, nine years? Yeah, it's, keep going. I think we did. Our, I think I did my first one with uh, 35 managers in a small little uh, meeting room in Las Vegas uh, back in 2005, 2000. It was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wow, we've been awesome. we've been doing this a long time, but it keeps getting just, uh, I don't know, I say better and better would be arrogant, but funner and funner. And I know funner isn't a word, but it should be. So Are you saying this it. is the most dramatic rose ceremony ever? You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it does, though. It gets better because uh, it's, yeah, we find the same thing in our event. Our event gets better, not necessarily because we are getting better at Converter or because we're bringing in other speakers that are better. It's because when you go yeah. to the same event over and over again, you have a different experience of that event because you that's right. You can now, you don't have that same cognitive strain on your brain. That's right. You know the room, you know the presenters, and you can absorb it in a different and better way. And look, if you're a sales leader, look, you need to get out of your office for a couple of days anyway, just for the purpose of, of getting a little sanity back into your life. But when you can meet with builders all around the country, when you can go in intentionally uh, with the idea to work with your peers from not just around the country, we have people from around the world. We've had people from the Middle East and Australia and uh, uh, come to the summit and uh, just to be able to pick their brain and to be able to learn from them. The relational connections are amazing. Uh, this year, we're doing a little different. We brought in a, uh, a professional MC. He's he's in the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame, a gentleman by the name of Brian Walter, because I really wanted to ramp up the fun factor this year. It's we're, We've got rock solid content of that, I assure you, but we're not going to be afraid to have a little fun this year as well. Awesome. I have attended before. It is definitely worth your time and investment. And there's really nowhere else, again, back to the content that you guys have focused on. When it comes to sales leadership in particular, who else is going to have available content and experience? There's just, there isn't. All right. Well, that takes us to the end. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us and giving us your valuable, valuable time today. That was really, really fun. I I had a great time. Thank you. That was awesome. Absolutely. Any parting message for sales leaders or for marketing leaders around the country who may be listening? Uh, It's not about the home. It's about the customer. I thought you were going to say change your world. (laughs) Live bold. (laughs) Yeah. It's not about the home. It's about the customer. So live bold and change your world. There we go. That's Jeff Shore for you, everybody. And that was proof that time flies when you're having fun because 
It, we were, it felt like we just got started and I looked up and I was like, holy cow, we Jeff has other things to do. He can't just sit and talk to us all day. <laughs> yes, it was amazing. Yeah, he'll need to be on again. Maybe 100. Let's see if we can. And yes. uh, Andrew was so impressed that you did something while we were on the I interview. did. I bought his book. Well, I like to read. And <laughs> Which one did you buy? I bought uh, Be Bold and Win the Sale, even though awesome. I'm not in sales. But I think that's a marketers if we get, you know, we understand them more then that will help us. And this, Jeff did imply that this this is really for everybody, um, even though he focuses it is. on sales. So, yep. Yeah, stop being a wuss is the that's right. subtitle. Essentially, he decided not I to love use. It. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Marker that out. Stop oh goodness. Well, let's uh, uh, let's hop over to the question of the week. Your answers to your the question of the week from last week, which was, are you using Google Analytics, Tag Manager, or you're just not sure? And you guys crack me up. I love it. We <laughs> I love it when people added their own survey answers <laughs> yeah. to it. That's um, so funny. But the leader was Google Analytics tracking code followed by Tag Manager, which you know a lot of folks ended up updating to Tag Manager. And we've kind of forced a lot of our builders to reach out to their web developers and get Tag Manager installed just because it helped with some of the privacy changes that Apple did to their ecosystem to be able to still get some good data in. So there, there is some advantages beyond just the code stuff we talked about of just being able to track a little bit more clearly with Tag Manager. But I, a good number of you have that installed. And then Kevin from Outhouse uh, added my favorite one. He said, our nerds do it all like magic. I just enjoy the fruits of their labor and the data contained within. <laughs> and and a whole bunch of other people awesome. just hopped on and said, yeah, that's me too. So uh, that's too funny. That is and good. then uh, Amy Alexander added a huh with three huh? question marks and, <laughs> and did that one as well. She said, I think I pay someone. I get reports monthly and we discuss what needs to be optimized. So thanks for your feedback. Uh, again, analytics, totally okay. But tag manager is something you're going to hear about more and more, kind of like the Facebook pixel at first to be like, oh, that, I don't want to mess with that. I think pretty soon it's going to be what a lot of you are going to want to transition to if you haven't already. That's right. All right. And new question of the week, Jackie. Yes. This one is inspired by you. Tell I'm us all so about excited. it. I'm so excited. What design software do you use to edit images or create ads? So I'd be very curious. That is good. Yeah, because for a long time it was just Adobe or yeah. Sim Corel Draw for those of you who oh, are gosh. old enough, that kind of stuff. No, or Microsoft Publisher, right. uh, Microsoft Paint, all kinds of great tools. But now there is a bajillion apps out there like Canva oh, yeah. and others that and so we're just curious as we start creating content around this idea of how to optimize your images or get get stuff ready or just build your own ad creative in total what are you guys using out there so we can make sure we're yeah anything i put together any any quick tips for design how to so just be good to know what everybody's working with so i can touch all bases there good idea well guys that's the end of episode 50 it felt like a party to me did it feel like a party for you did you get a party i'm I'm ready for a nap now happy 50th yes yeah happy 50th you guys got a little bit aggressive with the with the noise machines there but it was other than that it was a great (laughs) great party great party (laughs) all right for published articles blog posts videos and more check out deconvert.com it's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on facebook instagram linkedin and anywhere else that we are on social media have a great rest of the week and get ready for 50 more episodes see ya see ya